Welcome to See, Hear, Speak podcast, episode 38. This episode is guest hosted by Dr. Rosanna Komosidu. She talks with Drs. Lori Lee, Marsha Kazanovich, and Kevin Smith about their work on professional development, which is also referred to as PD. I'd venture to say that we've all experienced PD in our careers at one time or another, and likely many times, either as a facilitator, learner, or both. Because of your experiences, you likely have a sense of what makes for good and not so good PD. In this conversation, Drs. Lee, Kazanovich, and Smith share their extensive experience to discuss what makes PD effective and highlight that good PD takes time and it honors participants' knowledge and constraints. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to check out our website, www.seehearspeakpodcast.com to sign up for email alerts for new episodes and content read a transcript of this podcast, access articles and resources that we discussed, and find more information about our guests. And if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Welcome to the See, Here Speak podcast. My name is Rosanna Comesido, and I am your guest host today. I am a postdoc fellow at the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the MGH Institute of Health Professions in Boston. And I'm also a project manager at the Speech and Language Literacy Lab working with Dr. Tiffany Hogan. I'm excited to be here and talk with our amazing guests, Lori Lee, Marcia Kosanovich, and Kevin Smith about professional development. A big thank you to Dr. Tiffany Hogan, the host of See Here Speak podcast for giving me this wonderful opportunity to guest host. So how about we start with introductions? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what do you do? Laurie, do you want to go first? I'd be glad to. Thanks so much for having us today. Uh, my name is Dr. Lori Lee, and I'm the Improving Literacy Research Alliance Manager with the Regional Educational Laboratory, uh, and we're under the Florida Center for Reading Research at Florida State University. And so basically what I do in the states that we serve, which is North and South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, I support the literacy initiatives in those states. And so um, together Together with my colleagues, Kevin Smith and Marcia Kasanovich, uh, we support those initiatives oftentimes by providing training, developing tools to help them in what they do. Uh, I come to this work as a practitioner. I was a teacher for a number of years at elementary school and also the middle school level. Uh, I taught English, I taught science and even a little bit of math. And uh, so I come from that background. And then I also served at two different state education agencies, uh, the uh, agency in Illinois, where I administered a reading improvement block grant there. And then I was at um, the literacy office here in Florida, Just Read Florida, for about 10 years, where I served as the middle school reading specialist there and also as the deputy director uh, of that office. And so I came from there to this role. And so a lot of experience as a practitioner and then um, at the state level as well. So providing professional development has been a huge part of what I have done over the last 20 years or so. That's wonderful, thank you. Uh, how about you, Marcia? Sure, thanks for having us. I'm Marcia Kasanovich. I am based in North Carolina. I'm with the Regional Educational Laboratory Southeast at Florida State. And I work on a lot of their literacy projects and school leadership projects. 
I'm also a former teacher. I taught preschool, elementary. I tutored middle school and high school. I also taught undergraduate and graduate level reading and assessment classes at Florida State and some other universities. And um, most of my work has been designing professional development and designing tools for teachers. And, and that's, that's what I love to do. I love to um, translate the research for teachers and, and help them use practical tools in their classrooms and see how they can apply the tools in their classroom. That's great. And Kevin? Hi, thanks for having us. Uh, so glad to be with you today. Uh, my name is Kevin Smith, and I am the training, coaching, and technical support lead for the RHEL Southeast um, based at Florida State University. Um, so I support the training and professional development projects that occur across our six states and multiple topics mm -hmm. and have the fantastic pleasure of working with Lori and Marcia every day. And um, also, I'm a former teacher. I taught special education at elementary school level, and I taught English and reading intervention at the middle and high school level. And then I was a reading coach providing professional development to large faculties at a really large middle and high school. Then I work with Lori. I've had the fantastic pleasure of working with Lori for about 15 years, both at the Department of Education for about seven years I was there in the reading office, and then um, working with her and Marcia off and on there and here. Um, and just, again, have supported large-scale professional development efforts across schools, across the state, and then across multiple states. So I've had the good fortune of working with teachers and other professional developers for many years in supporting best practices for both teachers and students. So That's wonderful. Well, what amazing experiences you all have. And I think our audiences will appreciate so much to learn about professional development and learn about the work that you do with uh, schools and, and practitioners. Um, I'm very excited to talk about professional development because uh, it's so critical and necessary. And I think we're starting to pay closer attention to it as one of the ways to bridge the research to practice gap and improve school-based instruction intervention. And I, always, I also think that the timing is uh, favorable because it seems that a lot of pieces are falling into place now, including um, advocacy for common disorders like dyslexia and developmental language disorder, um, legislation that now requires schools to have evidence-based instruction and early identify and support those with uh, learning needs. And uh, we also have an interest from research, it seems lately, more interest around uh, the translation of research into practice. And, um, you know, I think we started realizing that um, research findings do not magically end up into routine practice without an actual uh, focus on implementation. And based on my experience with uh, school districts uh, and work around implementation, teachers and other school-based practitioners are really key stakeholders in that process. And the more they know about evidence-based practice, the better they will implement and the better they will sustain it over time. And uh, increasing that knowledge uh, is definitely a game changer. So today we will try to talk a little bit about that and how we can do that. Um, but I think we can start with some basic uh, around uh, professional development. And so my first question will be, what is professional development? Um, this is Marcia. I, you know, I always want to continue to learn and grow in my profession. And so I think professional development, um, why is it important or what is it? What are we starting with? <laughs> I think we can start with what is professional development, okay. just well, the definition. Yeah. I, um, I think it can be a range of things there, you know, from reading a book 
um, to develop your knowledge about your profession, to listening to a podcast, to taking in an online course, or actually going face to face and and sitting with your colleagues and um, learning in a professional learning community type of environment. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a it's a range of things as long as you have a goal of um, improving your profession and and whatever professional development experience you take part of, if that shares that same goal, then that's going to help you learn and grow. That's great. Any Anyone else wants to add something? I would agree with Marcia. And I think it's anything that you might do mm-hmm. uh, to help increase your knowledge and improve your practice in the classroom. And so there's that knowledge building aspect and there's also that intent to apply that knowledge. And so in professional development, it is gaining knowledge, but also gaining those abilities and then translating that into changes in practice. That's wonderful. Yes, Kevin, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just agree. I'm really glad the broadness of um, Lori and Marcia's answer was really Mm -hmm. good, that it really can be anything, um, almost. I think in my mind, the one thing I'd say, and they kind of hinted at this, Hopefully, when teachers are taking part in professional development, the goal is to ensure that students are becoming even more successful than they would be otherwise, whether it's through knowledge, whether it's through practice, um, that the teachers are learning something they can take away to ensure that their students are as successful as they can be. So that's kind of the, the one uh, note I'd make to bring it home, maybe. I, I like that definition because it uh, suggests a very active uh, involvement in learning uh, from the teacher side and not just uh, you know them being passive recipients of information, but really engaging with the material. I really like the, the broadness of the definition. So I guess the next question is why is professional development important? We all can certainly continue to grow and improve what we do, right? So even the most um, prestigious athletes have coaches. And and so um, every single one of us can um, improve our skills and abilities and our knowledge base. And so, um, and ultimately I think Kevin said it best in that the ultimate goal is to help our students. Mm -hmm. and to help them to achieve and reach their potential. And so whatever we can do to improve um, our instruction in the classroom and ultimately help them to do better um, is extremely important that we engage in, in those kinds of activities. Yeah, I agree with that, Lori, and I would add that it's important to learn the most up-to-date evidence-based research practices so that you can apply that in your classroom to help your students learn. And I'd just say that uh, the teachers come into the profession from so many different avenues anymore. I think, you know, historically, there was a very traditional line mm-hmm. for a teacher. They finish high school, they go to a college and, and through a, a, you know, program that helps them become better teachers through college. And now I know there are so many different pathways to become a teacher. So I think the knowledge base that teachers come into the profession with is, is very much it's much more varied than it was at at points in the past. And there's a lot more evidence now to show what would be effective. So even if you went through a traditional pathway, really the the knowledge, especially in reading instruction has changed over the past Mm -hmm. 30 years in terms of what's important. So I I agree with everything that's said and, and know that it's important that we stay up to date. I mean, shoot, I've been married almost 30 years. My wife still coaches me and provides professional development on how to do laundry correctly. I don't know if it's evidence-based or not, but there are things that not just in our profession, but in our lives that we receive guidance on as well, right? 
That's that's so true. I can think of many examples in my life as well. <laughs> that, is, that is a good one. Um, so we do know, you know, we have this broad definition of professional development. We we know how important it is, and it is a continuous process um, that all of us are involved in. Um, I think those of us who do some work around professional development, sometimes we don't have a full understanding of what it takes for professional development to be effective. So I would like to spend some time to talk about that. What is essential in professional development to be successful? And this is where you know, your amazing experiences uh, can, can come handy and um, our audience will appreciate hearing about it. Yeah, I think it's really important to bridge the research to practice. I think any professional development that you experience, it should translate what the research is saying and how a teacher can apply it in their classroom. Um, Kevin, Lori, and I are in a unique situation because we've been teachers and we've been researchers. So I know we all, we all love to work with teachers the best, but we also understand the research and we understand how we can translate it and make it easily accessible to teachers and, and show them how it can be used and done to help their learners. That's great. Um, thank you, Marcia. That's a really good point. And I'll just kind of follow up with saying it. And I think this has been a challenge in the research practice gap over the years and Marcia hit the nail on the head. I think that teachers will see if people don't know how to talk teacher talk, if they're not authentic, if they haven't taught before, mm -hmm. then that information gets discounted sometimes. So if you don't know how to talk to other teachers, if you haven't been in the teacher's lounge, if you haven't worked with kids one-on-one -on -one for the course of a year or years, then sometimes I think the information that gets shared gets discounted some. And that's just as a former teacher, as a coach who worked with teachers, as someone who's been working with professional developers over time, that just seems to be the case, that we really have to ensure that in some way, whatever's being shared with teachers has been vetted in a way that they'll know that this is real, that this will really work with kids who look like my kids, mm -hmm. who come from kids' backgrounds like my kids, who are similar, again, to what I see day in and day out. That seems to be a really important component to professional development. Um, the other side of it is making sure that teachers whoever you're working with has an open mind and are willing to change. Because if they're not, you can be the best professional developer in the world. If this is coming at a teacher as a mandate in some ways, or if they don't have an open mind to change or it doesn't fit into their philosophical understanding of what's best for their kids, then you're gonna struggle mightily no matter how good your background is as a professional developer. So that's important, ensuring that you're working with the teachers in some way, with leadership, with someone to ensure that they're coming in with an open mind and that this is something that can help them help their students. And that's usually, as we mentioned earlier, one of the best ways to come about it. We're here to help show you what will work for students that you have in front of you. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's one of the pieces that I wanted to share. And I think too, when we get, when we, when we talk about, and Kevin and Marcia did a wonderful job of describing some kind of overarching kinds of things that need to be in place. But as we think about too, just logistically, just the, the nuts and bolts of providing professional development. I know one thing that, that we've all done is ensure that we integrate knowledge building and application in any sessions that we provide. So it's not just a sit and get and we're spewing information at them, mm -hmm. but it, let's, let's build some knowledge and then that's give you a chance at your tables 
to apply that knowledge with some guided practice kinds of things. We circulate the room. We make sure the sessions are very interactive. Teachers have the opportunity to, to talk with one another. We have the opportunity to circulate and talk with them. And then we do the best we can to ensure that that independent practice comes later, that there's an opportunity for them to, to translate into that knowledge and that guided practice into their classrooms and trying to ensure that what we're sharing with them is presented as simply as possible. Mm-hmm. Because if it's too complex, if there's too many steps, if there's too much to it, the chances of it actually making it back into their classroom and them transforming their practice based on what they learn is minimal. It really just has to be, you know, yes, I can do this. You know, that, that, um, that we can convince them that um, it, it's, it's not that hard, that maybe you're even doing some of this already and that, um, that it can make a difference in what they do. And I think if, if they see that it's relatively simple and it'll make a big impact on their students that they'll, um, they're more inclined to implement. Mm-hmm. Those are very important uh, things that you mentioned, and I would like to stay on a couple of them, uh, you know, again, based on my experience working with school districts, I think an, uh, another thing that we always have to keep in mind is before we, uh, we do anything, we really have to um, take a step back and understand um, the setting and understand its components, its strengths and weaknesses. Well, because a lot of, of the programs that we develop, they've been developed under, let's say, ideal conditions, and they haven't taken uh, the, the actual context, context into consideration. And this is a big lesson that uh, I had to learn that before, you know, telling teachers that this is a program that will be highly effective in your classroom, I had to first, you know, sit back and, un- and listen to them and understand what it will take for something like this to be implemented in their classroom. So I would like to hear more, a little bit more about that uh, in your experiences, uh, because that is challenging. It, we have, it's almost like an imbalance between the urgency to implement, uh, you know, the right practices to benefit students, but also that we need some time to really understand the context uh, that we're working with. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think honoring the knowledge and experience of the teachers that are in the room with you is is a very important part of professional development. So, um, you know, practically including just time for discussion, time for reflection, you know, just have some broad guiding questions that teachers can talk with each other about, talk to you about. So Mm -hmm. I think honoring their knowledge and experience is really important. And, you know, we can all learn from each other, you know, (laughs) even the person guiding the professional development can learn from other people in the room. So um, I think that's really important. And, and, you know, simple things like asking teachers what schedule works better, best for them, you know, not just coming and say, we're going to do this on this day Mm -hmm. at this time, but you know, what works best for you and working with them and, you know, simple things like bringing some chocolate, bringing, (laughs) you know, things like that. But, but the most important thing is honoring the knowledge and experience that's in the room with you. I know one thing that um, the Institute of Education Sciences practice guides incorporate into those practice guides are challenges or obstacles that might be encountered. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important part of professional development um, as, as Marcia shared is honoring the knowledge and, and um, w- what those teachers bring to the room. 
in terms of, okay, you know, let's talk about the benefits of, of implementing this. Now let's talk about the obstacles that you might encounter and let's brainstorm some ways to overcome those. Uh, we know this is going to be worthwhile. We know that it's not going to be necessarily easy. So what can we do to meet those challenges to overcome those obstacles? And let's brainstorm those together. And so again, acknowledging, just like you said, Rosanna, that um, everything is not ideal. In you know, fire alarms grow off, electricity <laughs> goes off, you know, that, you know, is stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And so just acknowledging the fact that, you know, that that's going to be the case. And so um, let, let's talk together about how we can best implement. That is real practice. I mean, all the things that we're trying to control uh, in research is, is really real practice. Um, yeah, so it's it's definitely been a big lesson uh, for us and in the work we do, uh, just to listen to them and engage them from the beginning. I think we often um, only um, sometimes we tend to get feedback from teachers at later stages, um, and and I think earlier is better to really prevent some of the problems that we could prevent from the beginning, um, but also for them to. Um, feel that they are actively involved in something that eventually will be meaningful to them and, uh, and to their students and the communities that they serve. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, what you've shared is important and it's all a form of needs assessment. A lot of what you all have shared, it's not always formal, right? What kind right. of chocolate do these folks like is a real needs assessment type question. Um, I think so. <laughs> what you're doing. And it, it, Lori mentioned this. So they have, and, and Marcia did as well, they have knowledge, they have skills, they have practices that work for them now. How does what you're sharing hook on to what, you know, what, it's easiest, it's the same whether it's teachers or students, they need a hook to hang the new stuff on. So where is this hook? What, what do they know? What can they do now that this new knowledge or practice hooks onto so that they'll be able to do it much more comfortably? And that goes into roadblocks, like Lori mentioned, it goes into really anything that you can think of, if you can mm -hmm. find ways to connect what you're planning to do with something they already do and value their knowledge, and that's through that needs assessment process, what are you doing now and how does this fit in? I think that you'll find much more success going that route than otherwise. I, I totally agree. Yes, it's definitely important. Another thing that I would like to ask to spend a little bit time is, uh, I think what you mentioned, Kevin, uh, that uh, and, and Lori and Marcia, that we, you want to tell teachers that we will try to understand what type of students they have so uh, the program that they will apply will benefit every student they have not just a small portion um, and I would like to stay on that a little bit because that is a very challenging thing to do because research traditionally has been excluding a lot of uh, children with different profiles and creating these programs that, um, you know, eventually they definitely need some adaptation or, or something additional sub, uh, supplements to, to benefit all children. And in my experience, I'm thinking of children with uh, different linguistic backgrounds, for example. I work with uh, school districts that have high percentage of students who speak other languages, uh, different languages, different dialects. And a lot of times the programs that we bring are not uh, appropriate for them. And that is a very uh, challenging situation, tough conversation to have because um, we have to find ways. Uh, this is, you know, it's about equity. We have to find ways to, to benefit all, all students and not just a, a part. So how do you deal with that? How do you talk about it? And, and what are some 
things that uh, came out of your work uh, around that, that question of how to apply program to all students. I'm glad to start with a very specific example, if that's okay. And this is yeah. something Marie and I did with adult educators in Florida. So we were providing training on literacy strategies for adult educators. And, and we work with all, you know, adult education can be with um, speakers of other languages, corrections, all kinds of, so the most extreme example of what you've just described, Rosanna, I've ever seen. We work with adult educators who work with students on death row. Mm -hmm. And these are people in the most solitary, strict confinement than you can ever imagine for a classroom setting. So that they had to talk to them through a crack in a door. And that's really the only type of um, communication that they had. They could write things, they could share things through writing, but that's it. So we had to work with these corrections officers who were also instructors on how to interpret what we were sharing with them. And there were constraints, there were serious constraints on how to do some of the things that we were talking to them. So we spent some time with those instructors to try to brainstorm, what does this look like in your setting? And really sat down, like Lori said, we try to have interactive approaches when we can, but really sat down and talked to them for half an hour on what can you actually do from what we're sharing, what does this look like in your setting? How can you ensure that your students will get something out of this? And they did, I think, by the end, actually feel that the training was valuable and that they were able to pull some things from it. But that is an extreme situation. And we run into that, as you can imagine, the same way you do all the time, right? So what does this look like for this specific group? In some cases, you, you've prepared for that. We were not prepared for the death row inmates at all. We weren't, we just hadn't, we never thought that that extreme situation would exist. But you try to prepare when you can. There are always you know, contingencies. There are always examples that you weren't expecting that come up in your professional development. Mm -hmm. And what I've found is if you just sit down and talk with the instructor and say, what can this look like? How can we change this some? And Lori, any other thoughts? Because that's what we typically do. Right. No, you're exactly right, Kevin. Yes, that was that was quite an enlightening conversation for sure. Uh, but I think it is, and Marcia reflected this, coming back to honoring what your teachers bring and knowing that they know their students and they know them probably better than anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and so honoring what they bring and brainstorming along with them. And I think too, we're fortunate in that all of us have been teachers. We've been in those classrooms, we've had those kids. And so I think having that credibility and having some ideas that we can share, well, you know, I've done this before, have you tried that? You know, and, mm -hmm. and um, having those kind, you know, that background certainly helps in that regard. But you're absolutely right. We can't expect teachers to implement a, a program and that it would be wrong to expect them to implement a program uh, in a way that's not going to benefit all of the students that they have. So when they need to adapt it, then we need to figure out how to help them do that. Yeah. Another thing that, uh, you know, that came uh, from this conversation is you talked a little bit about making it practical for, uh, for uh, teachers and, and other practitioners. And I think that's probably another challenge that um, we often face because sometimes what we present to them might not be so practical. So when they go into their classroom, they might not have a good idea of how to, uh, to actually incorporate it in their, in their routine. So can you talk a little bit about practicality and, and how do we achieve that to, to our best uh, way? 
Sure. Um, one thing we like to do is show videos of actual teachers in actual classrooms working with their real students using the strategies and the things that we're mm -hmm. um, teaching through our professional development. So I think seeing it in action is helpful. Um, and a, an example of this is uh, Lori mentioned the Foundational Reading Skills Practice Guide from IES um, that shows recommendations for teaching foundational reading skills. And what we did is we took that practice guide and we translated it even more for teachers and created professional learning community materials around those four recommendations. And so we developed a facilitator guide for a facilitator to lead a group of teachers through the understanding these recommendations. And we developed videos, classroom videos, and we developed activities so teachers can practice it with each other and give each other feedback and watch the videos of it actually happening in the classroom. So those are ways in which we try to, to really make it um, practitioner oriented. So taking that research, those four recommendations from the Foundational Reading Practice Guide and creating activities and videos and um, you know, guides for teachers to use and read and then go and practice in their classroom and come back together and talk about how it went and what, what would make it more effective and, and things like that. So that's one thing that we like to do. That's great. I, I love how practical those examples are. <laughs> and I'd like to just brag on Marcia. She does a phenomenal <laughs> job of that work. And when you look at those professional learning community facilitators guides and participants guides, um, they are so clear and so very practical uh, that um, they've been extremely well received and she just does a fantastic job. Well, thank you, Lori, but it's definitely a team effort because you can't do it by yourself. That's one, one um, recommendation I would give is you know, you can you can be the best professional developer, like Kevin said, you can be the best developer materials, but getting that feedback from colleagues and it can only make it better. So it's really important to to work with those trusted colleagues. Marcia, you uh, mentioned something about, uh, you know, practicing and uh, taking this into the classroom and coming back uh, as a group. Where does coaching uh, um, fall into this? How, how is coaching connected uh, with, with this type of training? Yeah, um, Kevin Laurie can definitely speak to coaching more than I can, but um, just very quickly, I, my recommendation would be to include the coaches in your professional learning community sessions. Mm -hmm. So if the coaches are there, they're learning right alongside with you. And then in between each session that we've developed, we have this self-study kind of practice where they take what they learned in the session and they go and actually implement it in their classroom with their students. And so that coach, if they're going along in the sessions with the teachers, they could come in and, and do some observations. They could come in and give feedback. They could come in and, and co-teach with that teacher. So that would be one thing that, mm -hmm. that they could do. But I, I would recommend having reading coaches, teacher assistants, teachers, administrators all involved in that professional learning community. So they're learning together and then practicing and then coming back and talking about it. I think yeah. it's really important for that debriefing session to talk about how it went, what would you change? What, how could I make it better? Yeah, and just to follow up with that, something Lori said earlier is spot on. One shot PD where you come fly in or go visit and meet with somebody for an hour as a consultant or whatever, and then go away, 
there is very little evidence that that works, right? Mm -hmm. You need a coach, you need someone there to keep the ball going, because if not, I mean, we've all seen this. If you've worked in PD or in education in any form, teacher goes to PD, this is very common, unfortunately. Teacher goes to PD, yay, this looks great. Teacher closes the door and forgets that ever happened, right? Unless there's some level of follow-up and a coach is a perfect person to do that. And conversely, research on coaching is hard to do, right? Because there's so many different factors that go into that. The research that's been conducted on instructional coaching that works, most of them focus on a PD model where there's something consistent that the coaches are doing with teachers over time. Because how else will you measure it, right? It's so messy it's, and it's messy anyway, but it's even more messy if there's not a consistent PD model that the coach is supporting over time. So I think what Marcia said is exactly right. Whether it's a PLC, whatever the model is, if there's something that you found that a school or a district needs, you've gone through a needs assessment, this mm-hmm. is something, this school, this is something, this, this is something these students need. You provide professional development that provides direct support on exactly how to help teachers and students become better at what that need is and follow up over time. Then that is the best model I know of to ensure any kind of long-term outcome that's positive for teachers and students. I know that that can work. There are a lot of things that can get in the way of it, but I know that that is one of the most effective models out there, but it's gotta happen over time. And I think what Kevin said is just so very important, that time aspect, Mm -hmm. that sometimes, you know, in professional development, oftentimes less is more, right? So we don't want to try to do too much at the same time, because when we do that, then we don't do any of it well. So identifying those one or two things that uh, are based on the needs of our teachers and most of all our students, this is what we need to address. This is where we need to improve our practice in order to improve the achievement of our students. And really then taking that time to engage in quality professional development where everybody takes part, where it's not just buy-in, but they're taking ownership of that. And this is going to become our way of work. Mm-hmm. And the coaches provide the coaching, the administrators, and I'll take one of Kevin's phrases, uh, the administrators will be looking for the residue of coaching. So the fact that that professional development is being implemented in those classrooms, the coaches are supporting that, the administrators are on board, and then we take the time that's necessary for that to become a way of work and to see the improvement. And it's not a, just a fly-by-night thing, you know, this too shall pass, but it's, it's what we do here. And, and it's improved the results of, of our, our students. And so I think that time aspect, so often I think we give up too soon. It's like, oh, well, that didn't work. You know, well, did yeah. we support it like we needed to support it? Uh, were coaches involved, administrators involved, teachers changing practice, still building their knowledge? Did all that happen? And and so uh, I think all of those are important considerations when we think about um, how we're going to really change practice and really improve the skills and abilities of our students. Yeah, that is so important. And so I guess I'm gonna have a follow-up question here is how do we measure uh, that that change? Because another challenge that we have is like, we know a lot about what needs to be done, uh, but we have a hard time measuring. Uh, Measurement is is a big challenge in our fields. So how do we measure uh, and how do we know that professional development is uh, is, uh, influencing practice in a positive way? 
Personally, I think it comes down to observations of some form, right? To, so if it's administrator, coach, the professional developer themselves, someone needs a set of look fors. Like if this is going well, these are the kind of things that I would see in the classroom as a result of this PD or this program or whatever it is. These are things that teachers would do. These are things that students would do. And, you know, there are a lot of ways that people do this out in the field of research, whether it's time by activity, you know, um, whether it's actually a checklist of look fors that you have, you know, associated with the PD. Those are the most common ways that people try to figure out what actually happened after the fact, right? Mm -hmm. So from, and of course, interviews, um, along with those observations, interviews with teachers, with coaches, with administrators, um, surveys are another way that you can do that. Um, there are only so many ways you can do it, right? And unfortunately, a lot of it takes time from teachers and others that they don't have. So, and then of course, there's always the concern that whatever, if somebody's coming into a room with a clipboard, it's automatically viewed as an observation, right? Yeah. So in, in a best, in a perfect case scenario, you even go into the training with a set of look fors and you tell the teachers, this is what this is what this PD is. These are the parts that are part of it. And afterward, we want you to look for this in your own instruction. What am I taking so that, you know, somebody sooner or later is going to come by and check and see if these things are happening. Give them a timeline, work with them. And that's part of the buy-in process. Get the teachers, administrators, everyone to say, can you do this little piece by this time? And we're going to come by and check and see if you've got it. If not, we're going to coach. We're going to follow up. We're going to help you get there. But this is one of the things we expect to see in six weeks. And can you do that, you know, and just work with them in that way. That's one of the better ways I've seen it done. But there are a lot of different ways I've seen people try to do that. You're right, it's hard. It is, it is. But I like, I like that. I like very much to, um, from the beginning, uh, tell what you're going to do and, and what this uh, partnership will involve. Uh, and I think teachers often appreciate that because sometimes they are, you know, left in the dark about next steps. And, and uh, you know, considering all the constraints that they're facing, that is hard if something shows up, you know, in a, in a random time that, uh, you know, they weren't expecting for. So telling them from the beginning, I, I love that. I think that's a very practical uh, strategy and I think we should definitely all use it. Um, I think I would like to talk a little bit about the challenges that you faced working around professional development and being on the ground and uh, what we still need to improve uh, in professional development. So personally, um, I think uh, planning is definitely a challenge. Not yeah, well yeah, for planning, it's time is a challenge because whenever someone needs professional development, they need it yesterday. But it takes time to create professional development, right? You need the planning, you need to create it, you need to edit it. So I think that just the time to develop it is is a, a challenge, at least for me. <laughs> um, and then as far as um, leading professional development, again, you know, you, you go to some professional development, teachers are mandated to be there. And, mm. you know, that's, that's a big, <laughs> that's a big challenge. Um, so again, honoring the knowledge in the room, I think is important um, to combat that. And also if, if you can um, give teachers the information, the data that supports what you're doing, I think that is really important to help um, ease that challenge. Um, 
and, you know, asking those teachers who are there, you know, to, to participate and, and maybe ask them to ask other teachers to come to the next one. So, so those teachers that are there and participating and, you know, they want to be there, getting them involved and helping them get other teachers on board, I think would help combat that. And I think for us, uh, Kevin and I work a lot together. We present a lot of professional development sessions throughout our region. And unfortunately, you know, we're not there to, to provide that follow-up. And so we do try to work with our stakeholders to um, encourage them to, to provide that follow-up. But uh, I think a, a major challenge um, for us is the fact that um, while we provide that professional development and we do our best to check in with our stakeholders following that, um, we don't have the control mm -hmm. uh, over what happens there. So in fact, we have a slide at the beginning of our presentation saying we can't, we can't make you do anything. <laughs> you know, We can share information with you. We hope that you'll find it beneficial and that you, you, you use it. Um, but that's challenging, you know, because we do think that what we're sharing is valuable and will be helpful, um, but we can't uh, ascertain for sure that it's actually making it to the classroom in all instances. Right. Yeah, I'd agree. Just at what Marcia said, time is the biggest, you know, it's the biggest challenge for all of us, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's both on the front end for planning. I mean, she's 100% right. People want it yesterday and it's going to take six weeks, you know, and they don't always understand the need to create it or longer than that even. And then on the back end, like Lori just mentioned, the follow-up time, knowing that if we just come and do this thing, the likelihood of it actually working the way that we all envision is tiny. It's minuscule. Mm -hmm. If there's not someone who's continuing to follow up and make sure that it's happening. So I think both on the front end and on the back end, it's time and having people understand the importance of, taking the time to make sure it's high quality and then taking the time to follow up to make sure that it actually is happening. Those are, it's both time, but it's again, I think on both ends of it. Yeah, and, and time, I think it's definitely one of the challenges that we face uh, in the work we do. Um, another challenge that we, uh, we've seen is sometimes there's this disconnection between what you are presenting in the professional development and the need uh, for, uh, for a specific evidence-based practice and what the school district is actually using. And you start seeing the confusion uh, among teachers of how you know, they're gonna respond to the information that you're presenting them, but also try to balance it with whatever is happening uh, in their context. So how do you deal with that? Because that's definitely a challenge that we faced a lot. Yeah, I think we, we talked a lot about the pre-planning that goes into it. So if you're asked to deliver professional development, it, it's really important to ask questions mm -hmm. and ask, you know, what are the teachers doing and what are the, what, what's what's the student data look like and and ask those questions. So you go and even talk to teachers ahead of time if you can. So you go in there knowing, <laughs> you know, as much as you can about the context of that school or that district. So that will help you prepare and plan to, to show how what you're, you're teaching or helping them do can be integrated to what they're already doing. Yeah, I think that's key is that integration piece. And I know we face the challenge sometimes where what we share 
is different than the belief system mm -hmm. of the teachers in the room or many of them. And so you can see them trying to figure out that hook. Where right. do I hang this? Because this doesn't fit exactly with my knowledge and belief system. And so I think it, you just have to go slowly mm -hmm. with those teachers and, you know, give them the opportunity to work with what you're sharing and provide that guided practice and, you know, have that understanding that this is very different than um, what they've been taught before mm -hmm. or their, or, or, you know, their, their belief system. So I think it is just a matter of being patient, growing slowly and helping them to integrate the knowledge you're sharing with the knowledge they have. Thank you, Laurie. Yes, and, and Marcia, that was excellent. Um, anything else that you would like to add? Just uh, time, again, comes up. Um, being mm -hmm. patient, knowing, like Marcia said, doing a solid enough needs assessment that you know you're going to run into this is important. And taking time, it's like I said, with the observations. What, you know, what would it look like to see this little piece in three weeks or a month or whatever? Can you try to do this one little bit by that piece of time? Because mm -hmm. sometimes, honestly, the teachers don't have the tools to implement what it is that you're sharing. Again, right. hopefully you know that going into it, um, but that's important, you know. So what can we actually do from what we're sharing and what would that look like over time? Mm -hmm. I think setting realistic goals with uh, folks going through the training and with even the administrators or whoever setting it up in advance could be really helpful. I love that realistic goals and less is more. I love that. I think these are great key points to take away uh, from uh, today's discussion. Um, I think we have a few questions left. I'm mindful of our time. The next question for you is what is an advice that you would like to give for someone who is planning a professional development, but also for someone who is receiving professional development and what they should be asking from it? For someone who's receiving professional development, my advice would be just to make sure it's evidence-based, it's coming from a reliable source, um, ask questions, mm -hmm. um, making sure whatever you're going to take your time, because time is precious, whatever you can take your time and get involved with, it's, it shares the same goals as your professional learning goals, if possible. I'm glad to give one from the other side of the coin. If you're considering doing professional development, I'll quote Shakespeare, to that own self be true, right? Do, I mean, teachers think about who they are, what their job is. Other than the content they know, they're experts in reading people and behaviors. They have to be. If you come to try to train teachers and you're not authentic, if you're not who you say you are or don't know about teaching, they're going to see through that in a second, just like they'll see through the kid who's trying to come up with an excuse that they don't have their homework. They're really good at that. So you have to be authentic. You have to be honest with yourself and with them, what it is that you're presenting, what it can actually do. Um, do your homework, as we've mentioned, know exactly, you know, who your audience is, who you're speaking with, solicit feedback from them and listen to it. Um, ask questions of them. And as Lori and Marcia have both said, take time to debrief with them. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Does this make sense? How does this fit into what you're going to do? So don't go two hours of sharing content with them before you take time to say, does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Would this work for you? Even during the session, have them take time, talk to their shoulder partner, then come and share out. Um, that's really important. But on the other hand, don't give up. Keep going. Um, be yourself, like I said, and just keep getting better. Um, 
work with the teachers who are there and try to figure out what will help them in their specific situation. And I just like to follow up kind of on both ends of that. Um, as a participant, um, ensure that you're not wasting your time. That again, as Marcia said, that whatever you participate is, it, in is evidence-based and will be beneficial to you and your students. And then conversely, as a professional developer, do everything you can to ensure you're not wasting the time of your participants. Mm -hmm. Teachers hate that, I hated it. Sitting in a meeting where I was learning stuff I already knew, where I knew it wouldn't be helpful to my kids or to me, there's nothing worse than that. Mm -hmm. And so when you're providing that PD, ensuring that what you're presenting is valuable and that it's not a waste of their time. And as a participant, ensuring that you're doing whatever you can to develop your skills and knowledge and abilities and you're not wasting your time. That's wonderful. I think uh, all the advices are, are great and um, ready to be implemented. So I, I love how practical they are. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing all this um, great uh, um, uh, information around professional development and bring on bring in your experiences. Uh, Dr. Tiffany Hogan always likes to end uh, the, the podcast with two questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, what is something that you're excited about uh, currently? So I would love to hear uh, about some new project uh, that you're working on and you're excited about. I'm so excited, so I'm going to jump in. <laughs> um, we recently released uh, professional learning community materials around emergent literacy. So mm -hmm. these are materials for preschool teachers and how to teach literacy and language uh, to three and four year olds. So we released this, um, these materials just in December, and um, it includes a facilitator guide, participant guides, all around print knowledge, phonological awareness, um, vocabulary and oral language, mm -hmm. videos of teachers using these strategies in preschool classrooms with their children. And so those materials are available. And the thing I am excited about is we are going to provide train the trainer on how to use these materials um, to our six states that we support. So there are each, each state is gonna bring about 10 faci master facilitators to our training. And so then they'll learn all about these materials, how they're organized, what the content is, and how to actually implement it so they can work with their own teachers in their states, and they can also turn around and train other facilitators in the use of the materials. So that's what I'm excited about. That is amazing. And just to mention that we will include information uh, with this episode uh, um, around the resources that you're mentioning. And I'm going to make sure to share all that with all of our partners. That those are excellent resources. I, I, I kind of checked them before. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> How about you, Laurie and Kevin? Well, I'd like to share, um, last summer, Marcia and I started some work with the Florida Department of Education, and we developed a course for um, the, uh, the reading endorsement here in Florida. Uh, and uh, we have teachers, elementary school teachers that are required to acquire this endorsement. And so the department wanted um, a face-to-face -face that kind of turned virtual <laughs> opportunity that um, we could provide to them. And so that work um, has expanded and the department has come to us at the Florida Center for Reading Research and asked us if we could create courses for the remaining, remaining competencies of the reading endorsement and to expand a little bit the course that Marcy and I created last summer. And so I'm excited about that work, uh, the fact that um, we'll be uh, training those 
uh, teachers um, of elementary students and foundational reading skills, assessment, differentiating instruction, all of that, and um, will strengthen hopefully their knowledge base and their um, practice in their classrooms. And so we have the capacity to reach lots and lots of teachers in Florida. So that's exciting to me. That, is, that sounds very exciting. Good, and I'll thank you both. And I'm gonna follow up with the third project that Lori and I have been working on for a good while. And that's um, helping content area teachers, English, science, and social studies teachers integrate literacy strategies into what they do every day to help improve literacy outcomes for their students. So in good news, I mean, I graduated, I think it was a month ago today with my doctorate and my dissertation focused on this as well. And what I found through my dissertation was that teachers who've gone through this training, if they get good at it and they know how to implement these strategies well, then they actually uh, have bleed over to other classrooms because mm -hmm. either the students or the teachers talk and say, this really works, why don't you try this? So that's really cool. And Lori and I have done a similar project with the Georgia Department of Education this year um, and with a couple of local school districts here in Florida. And we are working on potentially scaling this up to other states coming up. So we're really excited about that work. And just knowing from interview quotes how effective this was for teachers and how they really could find how this fit in well with what they did is really cool for me to hear. So that was, I'm really excited about not only that project, but the fact that it's ramping up and that I graduated. All of those are things to be excited about. Congratulations, congratulations, and I'm very excited to read about it. Yeah. Thank you. The, uh, this uh, uh, work, uh, this project sounds amazing, and I look forward to hearing more about it and sharing uh, the amazing resources that you're creating with um, other teachers and, and uh, administrators. The, and the last question is, what is one of your favorite childhood books? Um, I'll say The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle is one of my favorite uh, children's books. And I just remember when I first graduated with my undergraduate and going into first grade, it was just, I loved using that book with my children because there's so much you can do with it, science and mm -hmm. um, nutrition and, and even math. So I, I really enjoy that book. I love that book too. <laughs> Mine is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has been for ever since I read the book, I think. And uh, it's just a, a delightful book. I've enjoyed it over the years. I've gone back and reread it at times. And so Roald Dahl, that's, that's one of my favorites. Good. And I'll say Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. And my first teaching job is working with severely emotionally disabled. Uh, they're all boys, first through third grade. And that book really helped them understand mm -hmm. um, just rage in some ways and anger and how to deal with that. And, and it just was a good book to help them understand um, almost from a psychological standpoint, you know, the, the stages of going through anger and coming back from it. So that's one reason why I really appreciated that book. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Um, I've learned so much from you today and I think our audience, including our students will too. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedules to be here and share all this amazing work that you do and your experiences around professional development. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you on See Here Speak podcast. Thanks for having us. It's been a lot of fun. Yes, we've enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> Check out www.seehearspeakpodcast.com for helpful resources associated with this podcast, including, for example, the podcast transcript, 
research articles, and speaker bios. You can also sign up for email alerts on the website or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other listening platform so you can be the first to hear about new episodes. Thank you for listening and good luck to you making the world a better place by helping one child at a time.